What is up, everybody? Hope you're having a fantastic day, fantastic evening, fantastic morning, whatever time I am catching you. This is Jason with Founders BR, and I'm excited to bring you today's episode. I sit down with Meredith Eicher. She is a leader of leader, a coach of coaches, and she is fantastic. Today's content is so good. You'll find that this format is a little bit different. We jump right into some of the strategies and tips into driving engagement with your workforce. And she is certainly a thought leader within this realm. I hope you really enjoy the content as I had a blast, not only speaking with Meredith, but really learning from her. I always leave a conversation more equipped and with more knowledge than I did prior to entering that conversation. So I hope you enjoy today's content. Hope you have a fantastic day. And without further ado, check it out. I like that analogy of the of the car, just because we're we're looking to get one, and like now, you know, we were looking at it like a Volkswagen Atlas, or maybe we have we're we're hoping that we have kid number three, God willing, and, and um, yeah, so we're, we you know we got two now, and we'd love to have a third, and so we're like, well, let's when we needed to get a new vehicle, anyways, we're like, well, let's prepare for the third just in case we'll get the third row and all that, and now we've been looking at SUVs and like. All we see are SUVs on the road. Now. <laughs> That's like, exactly right. There it is. There's the Atlas. There's the Atlas. There's another Atlas. And we're like, what does that look like? Ooh, I like it in that color. <laughs> well, you know, I noticed and, one before. Yeah. And so it's interesting because in coaching and in leading, and the concept is this that when we get a distinction about something, so it could be something about communication or one of the things that I think is very important in culture and leaders are their moods. And once we begin to get the distinction in the, the different, I call it the moods of life, and we be, become an observer, all of a sudden we become a great observer once we have the distinctions. So whether it's the car example, okay, right, or uh, they, it, the mood example. So if I, if I work with somebody and um, talk to them about distinctions around communication on how they make a request of their employee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have that, we have that conversation and I say, you know, here are the elements of an effective request. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, why am I not getting what I need out of this particular employee? And I'm like, well, let's take a look at how you're communicating, you know, mm-hmm. how are you showing up? And so we have this conversation around moods. And so then around effective request and he goes, oh, I don't think I gave a timeline. I don't think I gave my specific conditions of satisfaction. And and then he comes back or she comes back and says the next month, oh my gosh, I can see how I do that in everything that I do, Mm. you know, from my wife to an employee at work. So, my point is like he or she now has a distinction of what the the elements of an effective request might be or mood management might be. And then it's like they can be an observer. They can start, they see it so clear where they never knew. That's a compassionate part of uh, leadership to me yeah. is somebody will, you know, say I want to be a better leader or whatever they say. And I'm like, are they not getting the results they want? Sure. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean you can't get those results, you know? It right. just means that perhaps 
there's some blind spots where you need some distinction. So yeah, that's how I, I kind of I look at it. It's just about learning to be an observer of that which you didn't observe before mm-hmm. and making the adjustment, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's an excellent point. I, this is why I enjoy, I, I've been thoroughly looking forward to this conversation because I, I, I geek out on this stuff. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I like, I love it. Like I was having, um, gosh, it was a conversation. Somebody was asking about feedback on like best, you know, best books for like effective conversations. And I think came up like Ken Blanchard's one minute manager and, and, and like how to have really good, uh, quick in the moment conversations. And I, mm-hmm. your example exactly makes me think of like a leader that once came to me and when I was learning and I had a team and, and I was expressing frustration as a leader, I had, you know, I was like, ah, you know, I'm not getting this. And this employee, like it drives me crazy that this happens. And like, wow, what was the feedback when you communicated that to the, or, you know, and discuss some of the challenges and with the employee, I was like, well, I, I, I haven't. <laughs> like, you know, like, well, that employee thinks everything's going fine. If you don't have to provide any direction. And I was like, valid point. <laughs> well, and, and so I think you're, you're so spot on when we talk about, so, you know, obvious is when someone says, you know, that department's not producing or, you know, that person's not producing or whatever, you know, the first question is, well, what expectations have you laid out? Right. How clear are they? I don't know. And this is the difference. We don't say, well, have you given their list of duties and responsibilities? Well, that's a yes, no question. So, you know, the leader's going to say, yes, of course I have. Mm -hmm. But I always say, how have you laid out the expectations? Lay it out to me. Tell me what you have said. Because oftentimes it's void of what I call conditions of satisfaction, right? It's void of the quality, the standards. It's void of something. Right. Or or they send it, yeah, I call it a flyby expectation. You're walking down the hall and you go, hey, I need uh, such and such report and you keep going. Right, the drive-by like, shooting. Yeah, it is a drive-by shoot. It is like an ambush. Right. Yeah, you caught all that, right? You know, you know specifically the timeline, what we want to accomplish, how we're going to benchmark success versus failure. You got it by me, like running by you, right? <laughs> and that, and look, we all do it. Okay, so Absolutely. I'm not just I'm not just pointing to leaders and so forth or Absolutely. the ones that are. But you know, I say, well, were you a committed speaker? What do you mean by that? I mean, I was speaking. I'm like, well. Did you stop and speak directly or were you texting something or on your phone or at your computer when you barked the request down the hall? That is not committed speaker. Mm-hmm. Was there a committed listener? Okay. Was that person engaged? Was it an active, direct listener? Because I am not active and direct if I'm looking at my email and you walk in my office and I never stop and become a committed listener. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, and did you give your standards? That's, mm-hmm. I call it, you know, conditions of satisfaction, like what you want done and what the, the end result looks like, you know, mm-hmm. that obvious. And did you put a time on it? Right. You know, honey, would you take the trash out? Sure. You're watching the football game. 
Right. You're staring straight at the screen. So there is no committed listener there. It's right. a peripheral, right. it's a peripheral listening. It sounds right? kind of fluttered around me. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh yeah, I think she said something. And then by halftime, the trash hadn't been taken out. And she, by this time, she's fuming. Right. She's like, I asked for the trash to be taken out. It has not been taken out. Yeah. Right. And this is where the, and it's funny because I use it as a funny example, but it's where the resentment starts. Mm-hmm. And this happens at, in the workplace all the time. That's where the resentment starts. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like, gosh, she's kind of giving me the cold shoulder. What's that about? Did I do something wrong? Right. Right. Or the employee goes, God, did you notice? Man, the witch is on her broomstick today. She is irritated about something. Did everybody everybody do what they were supposed to do? I mean, everybody's going, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't don't know what it's about. Well, the unspoken expectation was that the trash got taken out right then. Right. But then in the request, there was never a time put on it. Right. You're supposed to know that it was right then. Or as an employee, I'm supposed to know that that report that was needed was to take precedent of everything else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so just one little basic communication explanation on what a true request looks like Mm -hmm. is a huge... Huge communication maneuver that gets rid of resentment. And, you know, I've had people uh, people be on the verge of firing an employee. And I'll say, well, wait a minute. Oh, let me ask some questions. Yeah. Well, I didn't look at it like that. Right? At least go Absolutely. back and exercise some good communication. Right. Anyway. Yeah. No, for sure. I've, I've been through one of the exercises that I've seen that you perform and the ability to unpack the really the, at the root of what is behind a problem, a decision is very impressive to say the least. So I can, I can, I can imagine when you describe that, I can visually see that happening. <laughs> yeah. And you know, then, I, then we, we become an observer of our behavior. Mm-hmm. And what's my role in it as the leader? Right. Am I doing everything I'm supposed to be doing to get the result that I need to get? Right. And if I'm, if I'm doing those communication and, you know, effectiveness in terms of motivating and that sort of thing, then we may have, we may have somebody that would serve a company, another company better than they're serving us. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But even when, like what you, when you give that example, we've kind of sidebar, but this is already so what, so good content. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we're kind of just going wherever, which yeah. I love it. But like, when you say that, one of the things I thought of, I forgot, I forget this professor's name is an LSU professor uh, in sports marketing. And he consults with like a lot of coaches with a lot of the players and talking forget his name, but he, I remember I was listening to him. He was giving a speech somewhere and he asked about communications and he said, what's the most important thing you can do? And he was like, and he, he said, your, your, your resting face is <laughs> kind of random. So but your resting face. And, and I was like, well, what is that? And, and I, and I thought about it and I, and I was early in my career. I was trying to get better as a leader and I had a lot of feedback. People like people would say that Jason, you, 
I sometimes I want to ask something to you because you, you, know, you look like you're mad or you're like you're really frustrated uh, and like I don't want to talk and, and and then I was like, well, what is my resting? And so I just like I stopped and looked. I took and then I didn't look and I just took a picture. And I was like, my resting face used to be was this. This was my right. This was my, my resting. Like this is where it goes. If my my frow I kind of burrow here and and this was so I'd look at somebody. I'd go, yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, and then they'd be like, oh, I'll come back and be like, no, you don't have to come back. And, and, and then I didn't realize the energy I was giving off was like, I'm mad and we're busy and you got it. And, and I'm like, I'm actually a pretty laid back guy, <laughs> but I wasn't what I was communicating through my, my posture, through how I engaged with somebody. And I had to, on the beginning, on a conscious level, recognize that you talk about the engaged listener. I had the distinction. And so now I said, oh, when somebody would say hello, I would have to be like, I have to consciously, I would smile and look and say, and, and make sure I lift my head from the screen and say, yeah, right. what, what do you have? And, and engage. And then to where it became natural. And, and I love that, that what you say about the distinction. I think that's really relevant. Well, and to your point, you bring up an excellent point. It's this. We create, we create, ourselves or our success or how we come up as a leader. And I mean, you know, leader is not a position. We're all leaders. Right. Okay. So it's by the language that we use. So this is, this is what I'm talking about in terms of the way we make a request, the way we communicate, whether it's written or verbal, whatever it is. So there's the language And then there's the mood and emotion that we carry because the right conversation in the wrong mood will get a terrible result. And so it's language, it's mood and emotion. And to your point, it is body. So it's the three things that we always look at. And in body, it is, that is a fabulous example about how people look at you and you have this intensity and it's just because you're an intense, you're intense, you're, you know, you're honed in on what you're doing. Right. And yet that puts people at bay. And as a leader, unless you like fear-based leadership, which I do not, absolutely not, fear-based leadership is based on intimidation. And you don't want to come off being intimidated, too busy, not enough time. You're it's because of the next onion to that, Jason, is that you're not important. You're not important enough to me, and that creates that creates its own issues. Mm-hmm. So, I love, love, love that you have that distinction about the body because how we carry ourselves, the, our resting look. I, I have a client right now, and she's. Uh, she's a VP, and she said, you know, everybody tells me I look pissed off and that I have a resting bitch face. And I'm like, is that, would you like my feedback on that? Because right. I always ask for permission to give feedback. Right, I love that. Unsolicited feedback, I'm not, inter- you know, I love it's that. not fair. Mm-hmm. That's a fly by switchblade. (laughs) But in any event, she said, yes. And I said, well, pretty much. (laughs) Right. But but there's a deeper cut to it. Yeah. 
what has you in an intense, tense mode? Is there a fear running you that you don't have something out on time that you should be out on time? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's running that? Are you annoyed about something at home and it's showing up on your face and you think you're hiding it? Mm-hmm. You see? Right. There's always something beneath the uh, first line of behavior. Right. I agree. You know? Yeah. So. You're gonna you're gonna read on on read on many many levels. We could probably go on for hours on on this subject matter. <laughs> but did you you had a subject in mind that I've hijacked no, I, the whole no, conversation? No, actually, it's fantastic just because I, I I I love it. So, but I will say because one of the things I did want to hear, and you know, we had a you know I've had the fortunate pleasure to get to know you a little bit better in some of our conversations, and your story is truly amazing. And for what you'd like to share, I would love to just kind of take a take a back seat here and maybe tell tell the audience that's listening in you know lots of entrepreneurs and and solopreneurs and you know your your story of entrepreneurial success where you kind of came from and how you've gotten there so you want the the good bad and the ugly huh I what, like it I, you whatever want, you're willing to share you're, you're, you want the you want the dirty laundry right <laughs> whatever um, you're comfortable sharing no no I, I I'm very um you know I'm always transparent and seek to be authentic at all times. So, so what would I say? The first thing I say is don't tell me you can't be successful because you can. Mm-hmm. And my story goes back to having entrepreneurial parents. Mm-hmm. One was a criminal defense attorney. One of two women graduates, if you will, of law school in 1950 Law firms were not jumping up and down that women were entering that profession. Uh, so she she hung her own shingle. So at a very young age, I was exposed to the concept of having your own business, if you will. And my dad, he had his own business. So I didn't know anything different. So that's where we get you know, that age old thing. The apple never falls far because that's all you knew. That's the only distinction you had. Right. Yep. So um, anyway, so kind of came from entrepreneurial background and came up the chain thinking I was going to be an attorney and, you know, be governor of Louisiana. And I was going to fix everything. And (laughs) with my political science degree in hand, I um, uh, law school did not invite me to attend. And my dad had an insurance company. So I went to work for my dad and that didn't end well. His company collapsed. There were 18 principals indicted. I refer to it as my unfortunate incarceration. And however, the positive to that is I worked for a huge company that had 400 employees, and I got a real lesson in uh, building a company and working very hard from the age of 23 to 29, wouldn't trade the experience for anything. So coming back, not everyone was beating the door down to hire me. As a result, people were not really excited about the second chance convicted felon. And despite the credentials, so I'd gone back and gotten my accounting hours at night after I got my political science degree. So I had a skill. And I was lucky enough to have a friend who said, 
you know, gave me a break, gave me a job in, in the insurance business actually for three years. But I knew when I was there, I'm like, I'm never going to get what I'm worth if I don't work for myself. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew it intrinsically, right? Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, I per- just money, you know, just all those things that you think about, I want to start my own business, I want to start my own business, I don't have the money, all of that, right? And what ended up happening is the casinos came to town, and I thought, well, I have an accounting degree, I'll go work for a casino, right? I'll get up in the accounting management, so I'll be able to go up into management. Well, couldn't be licensed, even though I went to crap school. So unknown fact about me, I can deal craps. I can okay. deal dice. Okay. okay. Take, me to any street, me. take me to any street game. I got gotcha. you. Okay. <laughs> and so I found myself in the position of I'm almost forced in my mind. I'm thinking I came from entrepreneur. I, I got to do something. So literally I was loaned a computer a pirated copy of QuickBooks and someone had an extra room. They said, look, you can just camp out in this room. And if you'll do my books, you can just go out and hustle, hustle work. And um, I thought, okay. (laughs) And so that's how it started. And so what I used to do is I could not afford to eat at the places I used to be accustomed to eating at. But I would go there and get a glass of tea and I would visit with someone or I'd go to George's or Ivar's or wherever. And I'd walk in, I'd get a glass of water and there'd be somebody there I knew. And they'd say, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing a little bookkeeping. If I can ever help you, let me know. In fact, if you need a bookkeeper, please call me. Right. Because my dad always taught me, if you don't ask for the business, you will not get the business. Right. And it started happening. And this was before cell, really everybody carried a cell phone. So I was that particular, I'm a call it a little bread and butter client, gave me the room. They ended up moving, closing their Baton Rouge office. And so I ended up moving, you know, the business to my home. Mm-hmm. And, um, Eight years later, I uh, took on a partner. So eight years of just going into people's offices, doing their books. And at the same time, I had the opportunity through one of my clients to uh, be involved in an amusement company where I built electronic dartboard leagues and countertop games and so I was running two businesses side by side. So I do books during the day and at night to supplement. So you do what you got to do. I mean, when you're, I think a lot of it, Jason, is it's that perseverance, can do, will do, not going to let a bad decision, situation, unfortunate circumstance, mistake, get in my way of taking the next step. Mm you know, to the next, next level. And so that ended up turning into a, a great accounting firm and a partner and seven or eight employees. And, and then one day I said, oh my God, I'm working crazy hours, beat my head up against the wall, kind of what's next. 
call it a middle age, you know, career midlife. Right. <laughs> and um, I went to a workshop because this girl who's a business owner, I said, man, you're so peaceful. Like every day of my life, I feel like I'm on this hamster wheel. And she said, go to this workshop. So I went to the workshop mm-hmm. and the person in front of the room was a coach. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I ought to do, I, that's me right there. I could just felt it, you know? Right. And so, um, I was smart enough not to give up my day job until I studied and learned how to be a coach and read and much like you do, Jason, you read, you read and you've started this podcast Mm -hmm. and you find how you, I, for me, I wanted to be a better offer to my accounting clients Mm -hmm. because I found that people come to the table. The numbers are like 5% of the whole issue. It's the people. Right. And, um, at the end of five years, got a call that an opportunity to be a CEO coach and build groups of CEOs. And I wouldn't, wasn't willing to let my, my accounting people go. So I created a situation where that is handled and I'm in the background of that. And mm-hmm. so I think you just, you have to keep moving forward. Mm. Did every decision I make in that journey was perfect? Absolutely not but I was willing to get up off the floor. I was willing to get my, my butt kicked in the arena and keep moving with positivity, not with, oh my God, the end of the world's coming because this client found out this, this, and this, or, you know, or I made this client mad. It's like, I, I did the best I could. I got to keep moving. So mm. that's fantastic. That's the journey. <laughs> uh, the good, bad, and the ugly of it. It's amazing. You know, one of the things that, that like what you say and makes me think of, because there anybody, I think anybody who's ever met you, Meredith, will attest that your focus, your drive, your positive energy and way of looking at things has undoubtedly allowed you to, to accomplish all those things. I'm curious as the coach, I forgot, I think Jay said the coach, the leader of leaders <laughs> or the coach of coaches. Oh, God, um do you have any source of, of inspiration that you draw from? Are there any mentors or people that you go, Hey, look, this is where I go or for my inspiration or my mantra, you know, what, what does the, the coach of coaches look to? Coaches have coaches. You know, coaches have people that they, I can take off my coach hat and just say, you know, today sucked. You know, I had a client, you know, I can say I had a client that, you know, revealed to me this and you take it on and you need to untake it. Or there are times that, you know, I get triggered and I can do all the things that I coach people not to do, right? I can get triggered and defensive. Right, right. And it's like a human. Yeah, that old sharp tongue comes out. And so, so I have particularly a coach, or I'd say a group of us. There's some three or four other Vistage chairs across the country that I really mm-hmm. talk to on a regular basis. I follow Brene Brown very closely because she and I, are, we have similar styles because I call it like it is. And she has a she has a great line that says "embrace the suck," 
And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, because not every day is a great day. Mm. And yeah. you have to embrace it and yeah. figure out. So, right. you know, I think there, there's that, uh, that I have a group that we, we all talk. And then if you're looking for a public person, probably Brene Brown would be number one. And I like to read about leaders mm-hmm. or a little obsessed with some of the, or at least a first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, that mm. was powerful in her own right. And then I also get my inspiration, Jason, from my, my parents. They persevered. They both had tremendous tragedy in their life, losing their firstborn. They managed to get themselves up off the floor and build businesses. I never think anything that I went through is any greater than the next person. And I think that keeps us grounded. Yeah. I'm not a victim to my choices or my circumstances. So. That's awesome. That's amazing to hear. Yeah, I think I can take that. I think anybody can take, you know, take away from that, something from that. You know, I'm, I'm also curious. I know that just for you, you're, you obviously, you're a giver and, and you, you pour so much into to other leaders across the community, but I know that you've also been really involved in just giving back in a nonprofit way just, and just looking at some of the things from Susan G. Komen to Junior League and a lot of different organizations. I'm curious about what motivates you to be involved and, and why is that important to you and how did you kind of get involved in, in that area? You've been studying my profile, Jason. <laughs> I can see. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah. So I think I, I think if you ask me, what's at the, how did that begin? I'm gonna say again from watching my mom, and I can remember as a little girl going to LCIW, which is Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women. Mm-hmm. She sponsored Narcotics Anonymous. She was when she was a criminal defense attorney. And we went with those little girls. Now, a lot of people might think not a place for a little seven-year-old, but it was a great place for a little seven-year-old because it taught me that people make mistakes and it developed this compassion. So my true first business was a cupsicle stand, just for the record. Okay. And it was quite the cupsicle stand of Sherwood Forest. I just want you to know. I love it. And the proceeds from the cupsicle stand, and I think I still have the letter today, was to that group of women in the prison. Wow. Because I just had this desire. I've just always had this desire to help someone that, to believe in themselves. I just know that's my purpose. And Mm. I got involved in Komen because... My college roommate, close, close friend, you know, she was the first of our group to be diagnosed at 39 years old. And, you know, that's a wowzer. And so I do what I know to do, get involved, be the change, make a change, Mm. see how you can be the change. It's no accident that I would be involved in this parole project, you know, Mm -hmm. and work with companies talking with companies about giving people a second chance. I just think part of it is you you figure out your passion. You just figure out your passion. And 
But I think beneath that is that you have a desire to make someone else's life better or easier because I've had a fantastic life. Everybody deserves a fantastic life. I love that. I, um, when you say that, like that story, you know, so I have, you talking talking earlier, I have two, my two girls. And so I, I get involved in a lot of, um, nonprofit organizations and that really hits home for me. Cause that's like, that's one thing that I tr- constantly, I, I try to, I try to through action, show my girls and I hope they're seeing it. Like you never really know. It's, I'm still, I'm a young dad. So I don't, I don't know, seven and four, but there was one moment that it was cool to see. I'm like, Oh, she sees me. Like, and I, and, and I sometimes wonder if like, do I need to bring her or not bring her? And, you know, and, and I like to go and do things and I want her to be there with me to see it. And like, Hey, look, we, we have to, we've been blessed with a lot of things. We've been able to have a, a very blessed life. I was like, but there are people out who have not been given the same opportunities or, or, or challenges and all they need is, is just a helping hand up. And that's our job. We have to go out and do that. And I sometimes wonder if like, is she seeing me or not seeing me or am I doing too much or too little? And like for you to say, it's cool to hear that. She's, hey, I, I see it. And, I believe that children are sponges. Yeah. They see it. They feel it. They may not be able to articulate it yet. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the opportunity, if you will, to tell or share with my mom. She passed away when I was 14. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to share with her that impact. Yeah. But it dawned on me one day. I'm like, oh, my God, I know why I know where this came from. Why? And my... My dad did it in a very quiet way. My mother was much more out in the public eye. Mm -hmm. My dad was a a quiet helper, if you will. And I can be that person too. So there's a nice balance of it. You know, you don't always have to be, I don't know. Somebody asked me to fill an application out for something and they said, no, you got to list all your community service things. And I'm like... Okay, but I mean, I don't have to have a label on everything that I do, right? Or we do, right? Yeah. It can be as simple as you giving a little bit of time, uh, coaching time, yeah. or leadership motivation or help to an organization, and yeah. and that's not a position. Yeah, that's you, you know, just doing it, right? I agree. And I think our children, I think children see that. I think they feel it. And then later on, it dawns on them. Oh, I don't know where that came from. Right. Why so, did I do that? Oh, wait a right. minute. <laughs> so one day, she's going to be right yep. before you walk her down the aisle. Oh, she's my gonna goodness. She's going to say something and you're going to go. <gasps> and I'm going to be a hot mess, too. I'm not going to lie. I'm that dad. I'm not going to be able to handle it. <laughs> I'm going to be a sorry mess. What dad does handle it? <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> I mean, last I heard, no dad wants their daughter to date till they're 35. I mean. Yeah, but that was the golden rule. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you dads have a bond, right? Oh, yeah. That's so funny. I love it. This has been uh, super great. I got a few closing questions for you. These okay. are fun. All right. So, like, this is pulled straight from... Tim Ferriss, he, he's, uh, he has a podcast, and I think they're fun questions. Yes. So, so, all right, here, first question. Um, what purchase of $100 or less, so this is for the folks on a budget, 
What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Well, you know, the first thing I go to is a book, right? It could be a book. Yeah, but then I'm thinking, oh, that's just so I could, you know, somewhat a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm. I, I, my answer would probably right now, because I'm not buying much, is probably a book. <laughs> right. We all, we all haven't. Uh, I will say this, though. It's a book, and we bought, what is that thing? The, the Nespresso. It's a little bit outside of, like, slightly outside of 100, but that was. We don't have to go to Starbucks anymore. And it's made that big impact on your life. Yeah, big positive impact. (laughs) So, you know, I'm going to go with this is I sent some flowers to someone that was not in a a good place. Mm -hmm. And it opened up a conversation between us. Mm -hmm. We weren't, we're not really that close, but I just knew wasn't things weren't good, you know? Mm-hmm. And um it opened up a conversation that has led to a great friendship. Mm. It's led to a deeper friendship. It's led to more positive interaction. Not that it just we didn't have a lot of interaction, kind of this like we we knew each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just had that I just so I think that had that had a tremendous positive so when I think sometimes just a note card or a purchase of a leave a cookie on a counter for somebody, if we can, that sometimes opens up something that comes back to you, yeah, five hundred fold. The power of a small a small gesture, gesture. Right, exactly. That's awesome. I love it. All right, so it's game day. It's time to get motivated. What's your walk into the plate song? Your life is now. Okay. A John Cougar Mellencamp. Wow. Well, they call him John Mellencamp now. Yeah. (laughs) Your life is now. Your life is now. I love that. That's a fantastic. And I carry the words. Hang on. Uh Uh-huh. I carry the words in my, it's in my red notebook. Oh, I love it. And before, you know, before an event or before one of my CEO roundtable meetings, I play the song. Come on. I love it. It's like your life is now. You got to listen to it. You got to listen to the words. I'm pulling. I'm I'm literally, I have, I'm getting in the car after this and it is the first thing that's going on. (laughs) I love it. All right. Final, final question here. Um, Best cup of Joe in Baton Rouge, best business lunch, your favorite dinner spot. Best cup of Joe is in my office. Okay. (laughs) Sitting in my comfy blue chairs. Right. Love it. And that's where the tea is, too, for you tea drinkers, uh, best cup of tea. I'm an afternoon tea drinker. Although I will give a shout-out to uh, Brouhaha. Mm. They're great over there. Yes, indeed. Um, and what was the other favorite lunch or dinner favorite spot? Lunch, favorite lunch and dinner spot. Oh, man, I have so many good friends in the restaurant business. Oh, goodness, you can pass. <laughs> put me on the spot. You can pass, or you can just throw everybody in. That's... Uh, that, that. What's yeah, your favorite surprised. dish? Go with favorite favorite dish when you're eating, when you decide to have dinner. What's your go-to dish? For me, it's the, uh, if if fillet is on. Like if I'm really having a nice dinner, if fillet's on the menu, it's hard for me to pass. That's me. Well, the 19th anniversary of my 40th birthday was a couple of uh, weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, 
I did go to uh, Ruth, Chris, and have a, a filet. Okay. But my go-to is uh, grilled salmon. Mm. Grilled salmon. Can't beat it. All right. So thanks for not making me pick, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of all my... No, no. <laughs> You know, I'm all it. about support and local, and I probably could have gone somewhere else for the steak, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. All good. No, I love it. No, this was really, really fantastic. I appreciate you taking some time and sharing your story. And, you know, I, like last time we had, a, I know our interactions have been few, but, you know, even the, I've always, I'm taking something away, I assure you. And I think everybody listening for sure has got something that they can take away. So I appreciate you taking some time and, and, and sharing with us. Well, and thank you. And I love what you're doing. Thank you. You know, my parting comment to you would be, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of, you're getting in the arena and you're, it's the vulnerability piece of, I'm doing something that I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm doing it. Yeah. And that's what I admire. So kudos to you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the content. Love to hear what you think. A like, a subscribe. Let us know what you like about it, what you'd love to hear. If you have any recommendations or are interested, let me know. Hope you enjoyed the content. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a fantastic day.